Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 to 11. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and, that, and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Mark chapter 10, verses 17 to 22. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honour your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go, sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, we thank you for your word. And we pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would open our eyes to see what you're saying here, particularly about rest, what that looks like in the Christian life today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So do you know the story of the little boy who comes to his dad and he says, Dad, Dad, how much do you earn per hour? And his dad's in the middle of something and he's a bit cross to be interrupted. He says, Look, really, that's not an appropriate question to ask your dad. I said, no, 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 please, I want to know, I really want to know, how much do you earn per hour? And his dad is thinking, I just want to get back to what I'm doing. So he says, well, okay, if you must know, it's £20 an hour. And quick as a flash, the son pulls out his wallet from his pocket and he takes out two £10 notes and he puts them on the table. And his dad says, what are, you, what are you doing? And his son says, please can I buy an hour of your time? Well, maybe in our culture, in, in London perhaps more than ever today, we have that sense that time is money. And we are, you know generally busy people for whom busyness is a kind of way of life, a badge of honour, a defence mechanism maybe, a distraction from things we don't want to think about. We're busy because there is so much to do. You know, we're busy with our work, to earn the money, to support the family. We're busy with our family, whether that's children or aged parents or somewhere in between. We are busy with church, maybe. Time is money. We never have enough of either, and yet they're not completely the same when you think about it. The thing about money is that perhaps in a slightly beguiling way, theoretically, there are, there are kind of ways of getting more money. 
and therefore we kind of keep on going after because there's always the possibility of more. You can work harder, longer, be a bit more canny with your investments and all the rest of it. And in principle, though it doesn't work for everyone, more money can in principle be found and made and that kind of draws us in. But the thing about time, if you think about it, is you can't do that. Time is the kind of great leveller, isn't it? Because whoever we are, rich or poor, young or old, whatever our circumstances in life, we all have the same amount of time in the day and in the week. 24 hours a day, though actually you should be asleep for quite a lot of that. 168 hours per week. And whoever you are, that's not going to change. And perhaps that's why for many of us, well, you know, we can see a way to be generous with money up to a point, but it's much harder to be generous with time. Because there isn't any, or that's how it feels. Well, this fourth commandment that we've come to in the uh, Ten Commandments as we're looking at it is here to challenge our attitude to time and to work. Once a week, said God through Moses to the people of Israel, you must down tools and you must do no work. And the concept of Sabbath continued through the life of the people of Israel up to the time of Jesus. And it then continued into what has become kind of Western civilization, which until recently at least, as you probably know, saw Sunday as the Sabbath. Shops were closed, no work was done except for essential services, and the idea was that is in order that you can go to church. Now, it's not hard to see that we've very nearly lost all sense of that as a culture. And so the one question then is, well, does that matter? You know, were Christians in generations gone by and still in some places today, were Christians correct to see Sunday as a Sabbath, to be treated in the way God speaks about the Sabbath? in the fourth commandment and does this commandment have anything to say to a generation now more stressed than ever about time and busyness well we need to see two main things about the sabbath as we look at this in order to see um, what this is saying to us today and that means we're going to as i said before we're going to have to look at various different passages in the particularly in the new testament to try and figure out how the sabbath fits into the bible story and how the New Testament in particular speaks about Sabbath. So we're going to look at the Sabbath picture and the Sabbath principle. So first of all then, the Sabbath picture, which is about resting from our own works in order to rest in Christ. The Sabbath picture. Okay, this is the first heading on the on the sheet if you're following. One, one of the things we haven't thought about very much yet with the Ten Commandments is that like everything else in the Old Testament, we need to see the Ten Commandments through the lens of them having been fulfilled by Jesus Christ. So Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament law in different ways. When it comes to the food laws about pork and shellfish and so on, fulfilling them may, meant bringing them to an end and Jesus was very clear about that. Because God's people aren't set apart now from other nations by the foods that they eat. That's not how you tell that they're different. The way we you can tell God's people are different today is because they put their faith in Jesus Christ and they live distinctively. 
So it's not about food, it's about whole of life. So that's how Jesus fulfilled that part of the Old Testament law. But you come to the Ten Commandments and you come to things like murder, which we'll see in a a couple of weeks' time, one of the other commandments. Well, fulfilling that when Jesus comes is what he does is he points out, actually, this this is not just about murder, but it's about the heart attitude behind it. He kind of ramps up the seriousness. He doesn't say, no, this doesn't matter now. You can murder whoever you like. He doesn't say that at all. He goes further. He says, no, murder, of course, murder's wrong. But as we'll see in a couple of weeks, it's about the heart attitude behind it too, which is about anger. And essentially, with nine out of the ten commandments, as we've been seeing, it's clear from the New Testament that they're still just as valid for Christians or even more valid. You know, there's a kind of deeper... A level to them that uh, Jesus points out. It's still wrong to murder, commit adultery, steal, lie, and be envious of others. It's still wrong to worship other gods, take God's name in vain. But, okay then, what about the Sabbath? That is the question. And when we come to the New Testament, instead of straightforward repetition, you hear things like this. So this is where we're going to look at some of these New Testament passages. So if you want to find the Bible, you don't have to kind of leaf through because it, it, it can take a while to find things. It's page 1004, but here it is on the screen. Mark 2:28. The Son of Man, this is Jesus talking, and he says, the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. And so what he's saying there in the context there, he's, he's kind of having a, a he's talking to the Pharisees, And he's saying to them, it's okay for my followers to pick corn and eat it on the Sabbath because the one the Sabbath was pointing to has arrived. So Jesus already showing that there's a a sense in which things are going to be different now that he's arrived. Now, uh, then you go to um, the Apostle Paul in Colossians, Colossians 2.16, page 1183, 1183, but there it is. And Paul is writing and he's, he's, he's saying to people, we've got to stick with Jesus, stick with the gospel, don't get led astray. And he says, therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. And again, the eat and drink bit at the start there, that would have been people arguing about whether it's now okay for, for, for God's people to eat pork. You know, if you're from a Jewish background, you might be still thinking, well, I can't really do that. If you're from a Gentile background, you'd be thinking, what's the, what's the problem? And they're saying, well, let's, let's not fall out over that. And the same seems to be applied there to a Sabbath day. So it's, it's being put in a different category from things like murder, which are still just wrong. Okay? Well, what about this then? We come to Mark chapter 10 which is the second reading that we heard, page 1014, 1014. This takes a bit more explaining. We need to think about it a bit more. So let me, let me just read it again because it's helpful to see. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. So, Spoiler alert, this is a man who thinks he might be able to be good enough for God by doing things. That's what's going on here, okay? And what Jesus is about to do is designed to highlight that this man can never be good enough for God by what he does. Okay, that's what he's doing. So this is what he says in order to highlight that. Jesus says to him, you know the commandments, 
You do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, do not defraud, honour your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. So which commandments has Jesus just highlighted? Well, okay, let's, let's, let's look at them. So we've got murder number six, adultery number seven, stealing number eight, false testimony or lying is nine, defrauding is a kind of summary of eight and nine together, Honour your father and mother is number five. Okay, so slightly funny order, but what we've got in verse 19 is Jesus highlighting commandments five, six, seven, eight, nine. Okay, so you with me so far? Okay, well, what happens next? So the man has just said, Teacher, all these I've kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack. He said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and then come follow me. So what's going on here is Jesus has highlighted commandments five to nine. The man has said, yeah, I'm fine with those, done all those. And now Jesus puts his finger on the thing that is a problem for the man. And what he's doing here is highlighting, first of all, commandment number 10, which is you shall not covet or you shall not be envious or jealous of what other people have. In other words, it's about wanting lots of stuff, commandment number 10, saying that's not a a thing for God's people. Be content with what you have. Don't want more. Whereas this man is all about wanting more, more and more. And so Jesus says, one thing you lack, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And so um, if we had more time to look at this, we could see how this isn't Jesus saying this is the thing that every Christian must do, have no possessions, but it's what this man must do because he's made his possessions an idol. And so he needs to put Jesus first. And so that's what he's going to struggle with, and that's what makes him go away sad in the next verse, as we saw But for our purposes, what we need to see is, okay, so far we've noticed commandments 5 to 9 and then number 10 implied. Well, where are 1 to 4? That's the question. And the implication is they're summed up by Jesus saying, come, follow me. And if we think about it, we can see, come, follow me. When Jesus, who is God on earth, says, come, follow me, that clearly is a summary of commandments one to three. No other gods, no idols, do not take my name in vain. If Jesus is God, then you can see, put Jesus first. Now that we come to the New Testament, we see God on earth in Jesus. Yes, that will be commandments number uh, one to three. Follow him. Well, what might be surprising to us is that the implication is that commandment number four, the Sabbath, is summed up in come, follow me as well. Do you see? And if we're still not quite sure about that, well, then we come to the the verse that David highlighted earlier in the children's talk. And uh, you can... It's on the wall. There it is. Yeah, it's all along the wall here. Uh, Matthew 11... 28. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. That's Jesus talking, inviting. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, I will give you rest. So what do we get when we come to Jesus? We get rest. 
And rest is what Sabbath is about, resting from work. And so the last one to look at, page 1203, 1203, Hebrews chapter 4. Again, we don't have time to look at exactly what's going on here, but let's just try and see clearly these three verses from verse 9. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. And there is the example of the God's people in the Old Testament not listening to God and therefore not being able to enter God's rest. That's the argument in Hebrews. So, for our purposes, the question is, what is this Sabbath rest, verse 9, that remains for the people of God? And we, if we have more time, we could see in Hebrews 4, it is the rest we receive when we trust Jesus, the promise of new heavens and new earth. It is eternal life that starts now and lasts forever through death. And why, then, is Sabbath a picture of that eternal life in Christ, that Sabbath rest? Because eternal life is about resting from our works. And this is really important to see in the context of being saved by God in the Bible. We're, we're not saved by our works, by what we do. We are saved by faith alone in Jesus Christ. And so resting from work is a picture of being saved by faith. Do you see? So God worked and he created the world and on the seventh day he rested. And God's people did that by law through the Old Testament, but like so many things in the Old Testament, it was a picture of what it looks like to be saved and to find rest in the God who saved us. Because in being saved by God, you stop working because your work does not save you. So when you you go back to the fourth commandment, we see that The Sabbath being given to God's people as a picture is like the animal sacrifices in the temple. It's a picture of salvation to come in Jesus. For them then, it was a very physical reminder to God's people that you can't save yourself by what you do. Once a week, you must stop working. And this will then teach you and remind you that you are, in the end, dependent on God. You cannot save yourself. So today, for the Christian... It's not that we just say, oh no, number four, that doesn't count anymore, forget that one. You know, Christians don't have to keep the Sabbath commandments anymore. No, no, we we do have to keep it, but we keep it by coming and following Jesus and finding rest in him. And it's striking when you think about it that we live in a world where many of us literally think that our work, our physical work, our career will save us or will define us or will give us our ultimate value. That's what our world around us tells us all the time. And therefore we live for it and we sacrifice for it. We'll do anything for it. So it's, it's an idol. We've been thinking about this in the, um, in the first couple of uh, commandments, uh, number one and number two. It can so easily be an idol that consumes us and destroys us. And Sabbath rest in Christ is more, therefore, than just saying we'll have a day off every week. That that in itself won't save us, just doing that. 
Sabbath rest in Christ is about realising we've been living for the wrong thing. My work won't save me, my career won't die for my sins. Rest from your work and find rest in Christ. That is the gospel message that this commandment points to. So it's not saying quit your job and just you know, trust in Jesus, but it's saying don't live for your work and find rest in Jesus. But having said that, is that all we can say? As long as we're trusting in Jesus, you know, okay, then fine. Work 24-7, everything is fine. Well, not quite, because although the Sabbath picture is designed to point beyond itself to rest in Christ, there is still then the Sabbath principle that we would be very wise to take account of. So the second thing we need to see, the second main thing, the Sabbath principle still relevant today. So let's think about this. Again, we have to move quite fast to cover all the questions we might have, but even if we ultimately we find rest in Christ, many people would argue, well, Sabbath is still something we should definitely be still observing as a picture of the rest to come. So let's think about what that might look like. So if that's true, is Sunday the Christian Sabbath? Well, let's just think about this. So the reason the first Christians started meeting on Sunday was because Sunday was the day that Jesus rose from the dead. So it was the first day of the week. That was the day that Jesus rose. So that's why they called Sunday the Lord's Day, because it was his day. He'd risen on a Sunday. But the thing was, Sunday, 2,000 years ago, was a work day. It was the first day of the week, having rested on Saturday the Sabbath. And so what Christians were then doing was they were meeting early in the morning on Sunday, the work day, and then going off to work. Now, there's a lot more we could say about this, but basically, actually, although there is a strong, respectable history of Sabbath-keeping on a Sunday amongst Christians, there isn't really any evidence that Christians started doing that until the kind of 3rd and 4th century, so well after the period of the New Testament. So, although, you know, there's nothing to stop us from saying, let's keep Sunday special, let's use it as a time of rest and worship, it is hard to argue that it is in some sense a law that must be kept. You know, and if you you get as far as the sort of 17th century, you start hearing about, you know, the book of sports that uh, the king uh, published as a sort of list of things you are allowed to do on the Sabbath versus all the things that you're not allowed to do on the Sabbath. And they have big arguments about these things. But it's hard to argue that the, the New Testament requires us to sort of treat it like it was treated in the Old Testament on the Saturday. So, okay, if you can't say that, if the Sabbath is not Sunday, well, actually, here's another question. Should it still be Saturday? Is that the point? Perhaps we should rest on Saturdays. You know, the Seventh-day Adventists, this is their big thing. Saturday is the day, and everybody's got this wrong. But the interesting thing is that fixing Saturday as a universal Sabbath is not quite as biblical as it sounds. What, you know, what does the commandment actually say? It says, six days shall you labor and do all that you have to do, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. And what the commandment actually talks about then is not Saturdays, but one day in seven. Six days, God worked for six days, and then he rested on the seventh. 
So it's more of a pattern based on the pattern God gave than a kind of fixed day that it must be. And, when, and, and actually, when you start to think about it, there is something slightly arbitrary about our days and our dates anyway. So this is slightly random, but let, just bear with this. Okay, think about the international date line. Okay? I don't know when you last thought about the Republic of Kiribati, but here you go. This is the international date line as it goes through the, uh, the, the sort of Pacific Ocean, and there are lots of wonderful islands there. But it, they had to move it because if you just did it straight down the middle, um, I, think the, I think the point was, I'm not, I'm, not a, I'm not completely up on my geography of Kiribati, but I think the point is the islands that kind of go across the middle there are all part of one country. Okay? And so the date line was literally cutting the Republic of Kiribati in two. And so they had to kind of move it so it went round. Okay, now, what on earth has this got to do with anything? Well, the point is, you can see that if you were, if you were determined to say Saturday is the Sabbath then even amongst your kind of people that you know in the same country, you, you, how would you observe that? Because you'd have one day on one side of the date line and another on the other. Um, which is Saturday? Which is actually Saturday? It's, it's kind of, we think it's obvious in Europe, but it's not quite so obvious when you're on the international date line. It's slightly random, but it just makes the point that in, in applying what the Bible is actually saying, which is a pattern of one in seven, it's hard to kind of fix it and go, yep, it's definitely Saturday, because that will vary around the world. That's just taking God's word and applying it to real life. Okay? So the principle is one in seven. And there are good reasons for Christians to continue with the principle of weekly rest, if not the absolute rule. So if you broke the Sabbath in the Old Testament, you'll see in Exodus, I mean, you'd actually get stoned. You know, they would literally, you would literally be executed for doing so. It was very serious because it was challenging God's. It doesn't have that same status. Jesus has fulfilled the law. He's taken the penalty. Things have changed with Jesus. We keep the law ultimately by resting in him. But having said that, it's like the difference between a child and an adult in regards to maybe the kind of rules that you have in your house. So think about this. Maybe, I don't know, do you have a rule in your house, maybe, or did you have one when you were growing up, about putting your feet on the sofa while wearing shoes? Okay? I know many here wouldn't even dream of wearing shoes in the house at any time. It seems to be a peculiarly English thing, not universally English, actually, by any means. But when I was a child, I got into trouble for not wearing shoes indoors sometimes, so go figure. But, whatever, we still certainly had a rule about no shoes on the sofa. But when you're an adult, in one sense, the law no longer applies, does it? The threat of punishment isn't there anymore. But what do you do with that? Generally, you don't then go, oh, fantastic, I can now put my shoe-covered feet on the sofa. You are wise enough to know that is not a great idea. And even if there might be specific circumstances where it's a reasonable thing to do, well, the shoes are brand new, they've never been worn, you know, outdoors, for example, you know, it's, it's kind of okay. It's a bit weird, but it's, it's, you know, it's okay. You're not going to get into trouble for doing it if it absolutely has to happen. Okay, so do you get the idea of the child-adult difference with regards to a rule like that? Well, how does this apply to Sabbath? 
So it's not that there is a kind of hard and fast rule that you can't break, but there is real wisdom and blessing in trusting God enough to take what he says about rest seriously. So it's a little bit like how a Christian might approach reading the Bible and praying. It's less about, well, what do I have to do? What, what do I, what's the bare minimum? Is it five minutes? Is it ten minutes? You know, is it one chapter a day, ten chapters a day? Just tell me, you know, we, we, that's a silly way to approach reading the Bible, isn't it? Or praying. It's not so much, what do I have to do? It's more about, why would I not want to do this? I'm a Christian. Of course I'm going to read the Bible and pray. And the point is, when it comes to Sabbath and when it comes to rest, taking a day to rest from whatever our normal work is, is a way of saying, I'm not saved by what I do. My work does not define me. And so I am willing not to do it for a day. Now, the question then, of course, is, but what does that look like in 21st century London? If you are a full-time stay-at-home parent of young children, you might remember a day off as a kind of long, you know, thing that happened a long time ago, many years ago, a luxury to, to be enjoyed by others. If you're a shift worker, or your pattern of work is such that you have to work weekends at times and all that kind of thing, you are going to find it a lot more challenging to keep one day clear on a regular basis. If you work fixed hours, you know, you've got a job that requires you to be at work nine to five, Monday to Friday. Well, you've got two days off a week and it's kind of obvious. I don't have to think about this. Well, the point is, it's about, it's a principle, it's not a law. It's about saying rest is important. Rest is a way of trusting God, of saying I'm not going to be consumed by my work, by the things that I do. I'm going to deliberately put them down. And for many, it can be helpful to build a different pattern of life around church on Sundays. So making Sunday feel different by slowing down, altering the pace, guarding, defending it, being prepared to say no to other things that will inevitably crowd in and take us away from being God's people and celebrating the rest that we have in Christ. And for many people, that can be a helpful thing to do. It's not about rules of don't do this on Sunday, you know, don't do that. It, we, we have to come before God and take this seriously, consider our hearts, consider the things that will tempt us and the idols that we might have was chatting to someone who was saying the thing that he realised about doing lots of stuff on Sundays, even though technically he was there in church, was that he'd find that his heart was, you know, while he was meant to be focusing on God and his word, he'd be thinking about what was going to happen in three hours' time, because that was what was really exciting. He thought, actually, there's something not quite right there. Now, again, there's no rule about that. You can't, you can't turn it into a rule, but at the same time, if you're a Christian, well, you want to know God's and know him better and take him seriously. And again, this is about a practical wisdom way of stopping and saying, no, God matters. And I'm going to show that through one day a week um, of focusing in a particular way while, of course, continuing to live for him 24-7. You know, for me personally, it turns out Sunday's a quite busy day, actually. So, that, you know, the, the day off is generally Saturday instead. 
not a day off being a Christian, but a day off kind of meetings and sermon prep and all that kind of thing. Although, don't worry, I'm very happy to do things on Saturdays. I'm not trying to say, but <laughs> it's just, it's, again, it's about saying, just building your pattern of, of life. Um, if you're a student at school or at university, it's worth thinking, okay, what kind of student am I going to be? The kind that just works every day and as a result gets really stressed and anxious? Well, the studies show that working every hour of the day and the week is counterproductive, and it turns out God said that first. Again, it's not a rule, it's dependent on circumstances. When I was at university, I decided I would do no maths on Sundays. Maths was my degree, that makes sense. And I would just say, no, actually, Sundays, I'm going to focus on being with God's people. That is going to be my focus. And when it came to my finals, which, to be honest, were the hardest exams I've ever taken in my life, and they still bring me out in a, in a cold sweat, and I, I've kept the papers in my filing cabinet, so I can just take them out every so often to humble myself by looking at them and thinking how ridiculously hard these questions were. But instead of cramming up to the last minute, which was extremely tempting because there's always more you can do, you've never done enough, what I did was I stopped on Friday night, I went home for the weekend, I slept, I did no work, I went to church with my family, I arrived back on Sunday evening fresh and ready for the first exam on Monday morning. And it was absolutely the right thing to do, I don't regret it. The Sabbath principle is worth taking seriously today. In the end, this is about our hearts, isn't it? Because if we're trusting in Christ, we have the rest that matters. Our work and all the things we live for now, they're not going to get us through death. So, the real question for us is, are we willing to be different from the world around us? To say, I'm going to trust God enough not to just be like the world around me and just be filling every hour of every day doing crazy things because... That's just what everyone does, it's normal. And I might be missing out if I don't do everything, if I don't try. So I need to kind of you know, fill every hour of the week, drive myself to burnout in an early grave, because that's just what you do. Are we willing to say, no, I trust God enough to say I'm not going to do that? I'm going to rest in Christ. I'm going to show that he is my master. Nothing and no one else will control me. He will. And one way of living that and demonstrating that is by regularly stopping and resting so that I have to trust him more and depend on him. Well, let's pause, reflect, and then I will lead us in prayer. Father God, it can be so painful to Admit that life does not depend on us. We fret and we get anxious. And that drives us to work more and more in whatever way. But you command us, first of all, to find rest in Christ. Help us to do that, to come to him. Maybe for the first time, to say, Jesus is Lord. I'm going to shape my life around him. I'm going to find rest in him. He is a, a kind 
person to come to who says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Help us to find rest in him. And having done that, help us then to order our lives in a way that demonstrates Jesus is Lord of all. And particularly where we're tempted to feel like if we don't fill every hour with activity, we will somehow miss out or we won't get the job done. Help us to trust you. And to say, no, Jesus comes first. And to do that with our time. Which can feel so precious. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.